The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. With trains that run on electricity, it's the live one. In American politics, it's the thing you can't touch. The third rail. Touching social security, for example, could mean the end of a political career. Touching the third rail of the L's three tracks means a bad day for you and trains stopped all along the blue line. What Christians usually refer to as evangelization often feels like the third rail. There's no doing without it, but the moment you touch it, things stop rolling as they did before, and everyone gets something of a traumatic jolt. Jesus died for you. It's point number one. Nothing but grace and love. Jesus was raised from the dead. God's action, pure gift. But for that to do anybody any good, you've got to tell them about that. And effectively, salvation of the world now on your shoulders. Whammo. Ouch. Short circuit. Biblically, however, the, pro the proclamation of the gospel is not a third rail. In fact, we might call it the gospel's own third nail, by which Christ himself anchors the gospel as pure gift. And Christ does exactly this by revealing the gospel's promulgation within God's plan of salvation. 
by setting up the means of the gospel's proclamation and then by empowering and personally carrying out this work. In the verses that we have in front of us from the last chapter of volume one of Luke's story of Jesus, there are, in fact, three things. But the third one does not short-circuit the first two. It rolls right along with them. Thus it is written, Jesus says, that, number one, the Messiah should suffer. And that, number two, on the third day, he should rise from the dead. And, number three, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all peoples. Should, not in the sense of, now you get cracking and do the job, but should as a form of shall. As in, this is just how things are going to be. The Greek verb that St. Luke uses here, day, is one that he uses to point to God's actions, to a divine and incontrovertible plan of salvation. God himself determined that the Messiah would suffer and die. God himself raised the Messiah from the dead. And God himself is going to see that law and gospel preaching delivers Christ's death and resurrection to all peoples. As surely as Jesus is the Christ, whom God the Father raised on the third day, the proclamation of the gospel is just plain going to get done. Well, how is it going to get done? With his next words, Jesus sets up the means of the gospel's proclamation. You are witnesses of these things, he says. The you whom Jesus is here indicating are the apostles. Luke already told how Jesus had chosen 12 from a larger group of disciples to be apostles, how he had given them a share in his ministry and in his authority to cleanse, to heal, and to proclaim the coming of God's kingdom. And now, after Jesus' resurrection, things were changing. These are the words I spoke, Jesus says, while I was still with you. Things aren't going to be just like they were before. The resurrected Jesus, soon to ascend to the Father, is setting up the apostolic ministry. He's setting up the personal means of the gospel's preaching, of the delivery of his death and his resurrection as forgiveness delivered as gift to all peoples. Now, there were 11 apostles at this point, but soon... Matthias would fill Judas's vacant spot. And Saul of Tarsus would get drafted to play Apostle Paul. And the book of Acts and the letters of Paul and even Peter's first letter and Hebrews and John's writings indicate how the apostles gave others share in this apostolic ministry. Stephen and Philip, 
Barnabas, the presbyters of Ephesus, Timothy and Titus, and the bishops and deacons that Timothy and Titus were putting in place. By the time we get to the pastoral epistles of the New Testament, we are four generations deep into men getting set into the apostolic ministry that Jesus has set up. And this setting into and perpetuation of the apostolic ministry has continued on down to our own day. So not only is the proclamation of the gospel embedded as a promise in God's very plan of salvation, and not only is it set up by Jesus as he establishes the apostolic ministry, but Jesus himself is also still dealing with people through the preaching of the gospel today. And that's not my idea. That's exactly how Luke begins volume two of his story of Jesus, the book of Acts. That book starts with these words. In my first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. That means that incarnation, growth, baptism, ministry, suffering, death, resurrection, ascension, these were just the beginning of what Jesus is up to. And then at Pentecost, in accord with God's established plan of salvation, Jesus took his game to the next level. We might say he went global with it. Ascended to the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit on the apostles, enabling them to then be his witnesses. So that that same Holy Spirit, the giver of Christ's own resurrected life, might be given as a gift to all peoples through the preaching of the gospel and baptism. And thus in Jerusalem began a chain of events that unfold right down to this day. We call it church history. And it's playing out right here this morning and all over the world. And that, brothers and sisters, is not a contradictory story. It is a good story. It is a gospel story all the way through, with Jesus not only suffering and rising, but also anchoring the gospel in the personal delivery by the apostolic ministry according to God's plan of salvation and enabled by the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a train that gets where it's going. Forgiveness, salvation, restoration. That's where it's headed. So if you are on board, and of course, you are on board, then you're going to go places too. Like the women who supported Jesus' ministry all the way along. And the Jerusalem community who knew how to take care of its widows. And the early churches who made a collection for the poor and got it back to Jerusalem because they needed it there. And like those whom St. Peter catechized, who were always ready to give an account of the strange and beautiful hope that was in them.
And then like so many in the book of Acts and in Paul's epistles whose homes and whose lives were opened as they were picked up and borne along by the movement of the kingdom of God. That's the train. And you are on board. And its next stop is the fruits of our Lord's resurrected suffering, delivered as nothing but gift to you, his body and blood for the forgiveness of your sins. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.